So, do you think we need a um a beginning? Hello, everybody. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Is it necessary? No. No, it's not necessary. It's not necessary. Okay. I don't. I don't think so. But uh, well, we are experimenting. I mean, I'm. Uh, I have adopted this kind of mindset that we are just trying this out. There are so many things that you have to pay attention to. I have my wife with. Um, we're making a video. A real video. It was really there were there are so many things, so many things you have to pay attention to. Yeah, you've started recording, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it gives you an appreciation for the content creators out there, the the, the really high end, um, you know, the YouTubers who really put a lot of effort in. Absolutely, chapeau. I mean, hats off because it's uh, you need to be a designer, you need to be a performer, you need to um, stage everything, you need to be a consultant, a psychologist, uh, especially when you have actors or, or other people involved. You need to be a motivator, a teacher, a consultant, a facilitator. Pretty much what, what, what teachers are actually because you need to be a facilitator, a motivator, a performer. Maybe you don't need to be a designer in the strict sense of the word, but uh, certainly you need to be multi-talented. I think even with design, if you have a look at the successful YouTubers, they do go into design with their thumbnails, with the way they set up their... Um, I mean, it's video editing as well, so there's so much to think about. Um, it's, yeah, it's quite yeah, it's I incredible. Mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You need to be multi-talented. You need to know about the lights, how to set up the lights. You need to uh, know how to, how to use microphones, cameras. Uh, um, there are several pieces of software you need to be familiar with. And maybe this is the reason why we are so interested in educational technology. What? Yeah, well, because because you need to be multi-talented, you yeah. need to develop many skills. Yeah. Uh, there are clearly transdisciplinary. I wouldn't even use the word interdisciplinary, but multi uh, transdisciplinary. They actually beyond the single disciplines we're usually familiar with. Yeah. So going from design to 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 know about uh, uh, history or whatever subject you're uh, you're teaching. There's also something interesting about the personalities who do succeed in in YouTube itself. I mean, I, just today I was watching one related to a headphone review, you know, a gaming headset review, and it was for this these Sennheisers, um, and a strange, you know, some strange guy with an Eastern European accent sort of talking, or maybe he's even, no, I think it was Austrian, because I remember reading in one of the YouTube comments, he says, are you from Austria? Because you sound just like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, um, <laughs> but he's, you know, he's, he's not a typical television presenter that you would find on, on the news or on a current affairs program. A, a little bit, a, you know, not, not ha extremely handsome, um, not, well spoken necessarily in a typical way wasn't having this bbc english that we might expect but engaging and and enthusiastic and i think it's because you know this he's he's doing it because he wants to nobody's forcing him to it he didn't start the channel because he thought he could generate rat ad revenue i don't think i think the majority of people who are successes in youtube at least started out Without the without the plan to generate money from their production, so there's this weird selection bias that is atypical to um, general commercial productions. Where, yeah, but maybe yeah, I, I even question whether or not fame is probably not the reason why most of these successful people got into reviewing smartphones. There's this genuine interest in the thing that they're sort of working on. Well, I think that interested people might turn out to be very interesting. 
So if you are interested in something, generally interested in something, and you have a certain number of skills, some of which might be actually quite technical, then you might turn out to be interesting and finding your own audience. Because you can really dive into <laughs> your own interests. I mean, if we are interested uh, in educational technology, we might, we might be interesting in the end. And the ability to reach an audience that is of any significant number, which could only be 30 or 100 even, the fact that there's this... Um, the fact that there's this ability to use the internet, it's incredibly easy to reach 30 to 100 to 1,000 strange people with this interest in this strange technology or this strange topic when previously it would have been impossible. Previously, it, w it, it would have been completely impossible, yes. But at the same time, I don't, as you said before, I don't think that fame is their main goal, especially when they start. I think that when you start, you just you just want to share something, you know, and then uh, and then things change in due course, including uh, uh, the setting, uh, the equipment you use, uh, and perhaps also the style that you employ. I don't know because at the beginning, I think that it's always low budget. Yeah. So you have a camera, perhaps your webcam, uh, your computer, a shitty, crappy microphone. And then as you see that you're building up your own audience, you may decide to, to update your equipment. But this is something very similar uh, to something that I've noticed with photography. There are so many amateur photographers, including myself. I mean, people that just uh, grab a, a camera and they start taking pictures. And then uh, as they learn uh, about the camera and photography itself, then they may turn it into in even a profession. I mean, I have a, I have a friend... Uh, who got a PhD in philosophy and uh, and now he's actually living in California and, and he's a sort of professional photographer but by that I mean that he gets money for his picture for for taking pictures and uh, uh, taking portraits of people and stuff like that an, an interesting um, thing I learned recently about a, a well-known photographer and he's not well known for his photography but he transitioned into photography from his previous job <clears throat> and that previous job was running at the time the world's largest social media platform which was myspace so, MySpace. so tom from myspace i'm not sure if you ever used myspace no so never. this was the precursor to facebook it was enormous yeah yeah and tom was like the first friend you had on myspace i was never really i didn't use it much but i think i had one and you know, my friends used it. It was quite big in the schools, maybe for a couple of years. But he sold, I guess he, I remember reading somewhere, maybe in a Reddit sort of thread or something like this, somebody made the joke about how MySpace was a complete failure and this Tom character, you know, he must be kicking himself that it wasn't a success that Facebook was. And it was so close to Facebook as well. It really was a close sort of thing to Facebook. And then somebody shared the story that actually Tom sold for two, three hundred million or whatever it was to Yahoo, which then it died a slow death as so many failed social media platforms that nearly were have failed. And now he travels the world taking photographs and you can sort of search his photographs online and there's these fantastic things. So it's interesting. Is he doing well? Is he doing well? Well, they're good photos, yeah. Good photos, yeah. okay. But it's also... I'm, you know, I'm not a connoisseur of photography. I, I, I can appreciate, I can appreciate it. It is an interesting art form, though. It's kind of, um, yeah, but it's not because I sort of have a background in film. I do appreciate some it more than say other things. But um, I'm not. A, I, I can't tell you how he is technically, but his photos look awesome. Yeah, but you. But but you enjoy them. Yeah, exactly. Them. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah, yeah. It's actually very interesting because I mean nowadays you can. I mean I have a I have a Nikon and I spent I think I paid uh, I think four hundred euros, which is not that much and uh, and it, and it does the job. I mean uh, I can take decent pictures. <laughs> what else do you need? 
Yeah, you don't need anything else. You don't need anything else. So the problem, I think that there's no issue with the with the equipment, which is also something that teachers brought up uh, in this survey that you sent me before this. Yeah. Uh, this episode, uh, that uh, and and I was very and uh, maybe we can get into. So this, what is the uh, survey? So Tell us. Maybe you can introduce it a little bit. Well, actually, I was. <laughs> I was uh, I was about to ask you to do the same because you actually sent okay. me the, the 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 survey. As I understood, it was a survey made by uh, an organization based in Switzerland. It's called EPFL. It's I don't know what. The yeah, it's a teaching institution. It is a. It's a teaching institution. It is yeah. so. It's a um, teaching support center and center for digital education. And they actually issued this report. They issued it actually ten ten days ago, on the twenty first of April two thousand and twenty, and it's basically a eleven page report about the title is is remote teaching experience teacher questionnaire initial report. So probably they did some sort of research about uh, how how teachers are doing. Uh, I understood that this is about higher education, not uh, not 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 school. Yeah, it's a university. I'm pretty sure it's a university. Yeah, it's university. Yes, because I think that uh, yes, it's it's university, and uh, it's uh, 11 page long, and it's it contains uh, it. I mean, it was it was quite interesting. It, it was an interesting reading, and and the first thing that you find in this report is that uh, apparently the majority of these teachers that were that that were contacted and that they agreed uh, to answer to these questions uh, said that uh, IT resources, uh, internet connection, computer software, are mm. sufficient to allow me or allow us to teach online. And then there was a another very interesting thing that they say, that they said, uh, which I want to find... That seventy-eight percent of teachers found the online tools easy to use, which is exactly what we were discussing. <laughs> that it's it seems to me. I mean, it seems that the tools uh, are not the main issue. That if if we want to find problems, uh, we don't need to look into the IT resources. Whereas actually, usually, this is the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, when when we start discussing about technology using education well the first thing is where are the tools you know we have to remove all sorts of barriers for teachers to use tools but then in this specific case of course i don't want to generalize but it was kind of interesting that the majority more than 75 percent of the teachers of the of the respondents who were teachers said uh, it is not an issue yeah, and of course there was a there was a fraction of them, like like I think eight twelve uh, percent who said that the internet connection was an issue. But that's but that's might that might be regarding their 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 infrastructure. Maybe God knows where they live. Maybe they live in the in the in the mountains. In the Alps, <laughs> with the with yeah, the, the cows. Yeah, exactly. Churning cheese, what, what? making chocolate. Yeah, exactly. While teaching engineering exactly. online. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, but this is but this is quite interesting. What do you think? What 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 are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I mean, it, it, so what was interesting is they they presented the positive to begin with. So yes, seventy eight percent found it was easy to use online. However, a notable proportion, eighteen percent, indicated that there were difficulties with teaching online. Now, I'm just wondering what is. When is that a problem? Because let's say you are a student at this institution and you're following a specific degree, um, let's say chemical engineering, and you have a, one of your pro professors, you have for two of your units of work out of the four units of work in a semester. And what happens if one of those professors is is within that eighteen percent of the population that finds those tools inadequate or or difficult to use? So, from an institutional perspective, I'm interested: is this a good result or not a good result? 
uh, from a student's perspective, like what what would we what would we want to see? Do we need a hundred percent for it to be successful? And I think maybe the wording of this report suggests that maybe eighteen percent who found it difficult is is too too great a number, too great a proportion who who did find it difficult. That's that's kind of um, it's one of the things I was wondering. How can you sort of set a let's call it a key performance indicator as an institution? Maybe an educational technologist who's who's involved in ensuring that online education is is going well. Where can we set our target? And I think eighteen percent is probably too high. Um, it's certainly too yeah. high. Yes, it's certainly too high. Especially because usually, I mean, traditional education works. You wouldn't you wouldn't have people telling you, oh well, I couldn't have access to the classroom. I mean, there are there are in these uh, in these cases in which there are barriers uh, for mm, people with disabilities, for example. But we have tried hard to reduce those. Whereas when you move everything to online, uh, well, maybe the expectations should be lowered. Uh, but I, it's a, it's a very interesting question. It's a very interesting question. But is is one of the b- one of the nice things though? This is kind of the result of COVID nineteen. This is not a, a systematic, intentional approach to moving online. So if we get seventy eight percent positive results of teaching online and only eighteen percent based on some snap decision, you can't leave your house, you're teaching online from next week. It's probably pretty, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit you could probably do, um, sort of changes you could make in order to um, shore those up. I guess also there's probably a selection bias, maybe the people who are struggling. Well, I don't know, either way, it could be that the people struggling did answer the uh, survey because they felt that it was something that they could actually provide some feedback to the staff because they are interested yeah. uh, because they would like to reflect upon their own practice yeah there might be always this uh, selection bias which is also the problem of, of educational uh, technology research I mean this is a questionnaire so it's not that uh, it's a it's a picture of reality it's always a, a construction or or a particular slash biased representation of reality. So we can just uh, we can just <laughs> uh, comment on 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 some of the results. Yeah. But this was this was quite interesting to me that uh, it seems that IT resources uh, are not the number one problem that uh, that we may face. Also because we have to prioritize. So what do we prioritize? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, and this goes back to one of the most interesting issues that I've ever encountered in educational technology, which is the role of the educational technologist. Mm, we've been discussing about this uh, on several occasions. Is is the educational technologist a sort of help desk kind of person, or is he an IT person uh, providing support uh, uh, for for using IT resources, or is he or she somebody else? Uh, it seems that probably things are more complex than we may we may expect at first. But the other the other interesting I mean there are there are many interesting things that we can discuss uh, on this uh, in this in this document. Another interesting thing was what they call teleconference fatigue. Yeah, which is something that <laughs> is virtually affecting everybody. And uh, and in, in this specific report, they say that 67 percent of students said that it was hard to concentrate yeah. whereas from the teacher's side uh, it's different but also because teachers are active where students might 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 suffer from this uh, fatigue because they are passive they are they are passive receivers where teachers are active so the roles are different but 67% of students are experiencing some kind of fatigue and that's that's probably even worse than these 18% who couldn't have access or it would be interesting to compare it to what their fatigue is generally in a, in coursework because that's what you really need to compare it to is how does that compare to the because there shouldn't be more hours that they're spending 
in a in a in an online course compared to a lecture theater well i think that this is a specific type of fatigue we're not talking about uh, i mean i think that the question wasn't about are you tired mm. or are you more tired than usual it's a particular kind of stress that you are experiencing due to the particular type of mediation i mean we're talking about the screen uh, uh, the headphones and so on and so forth so it's a particular kind of fatigue uh, that results from uh, the tools that you use which you wouldn't use normally because i mean if you are in a in a in a classroom uh, essentially there's there's no no digital mediation i mean apart from the powerpoint but it's not that you stare at the powerpoint all the time right and and if you want to have a uh, um a chat with a, with a, with another fellow student you just uh, you just talk to him or to her whereas in this case you go through again the computer you have to open the chat and write something and at the same time you have to pay attention to what the lecture uh, uh is saying and uh, what the lecture is showing and in most of cases we don't have to forget this i mean i don't have data but i i imagine that in most of cases you have uh, the power the slides shared by the by the uh by the lecture uh i often uh, made this mistake myself that if i'm if i'm showing something to students in a in a in a webinar for example i forget uh, to switch off the screen sharing when i'm actually not sharing anything so i can show myself and perhaps this is this might lessen the the the, the fatigue that students may experience because they are really passive receiver on the other hand uh, the interesting thing is that the experience cannot be compared to that of watching tv which is usually very relaxing very passive and very relaxing at the same time but you can make the case that well in case of tv programs this is done by professional so this is something that that that, that has a completely different meaning you don't have to remember you don't have to uh, uh interact uh, uh or pay attention in order to interact or to show that you're there that you're responsive you don't need to be responsive to what what you've been told but th- i also think that it's the responsiveness or the interaction is not necessarily what's fatiguing because i can spend hours playing a computer game highly stimulating and i mean i don't get <laughs> I don't get I don't think I get the same fatigue that I get which these students are reporting. I think this report So what's the problem? So what's 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 the problem in your opinion? I think it is the fact that the learning experiences are not very engaging and it's probably even the content itself might be lacking in 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 yes, it's in interest for the student. So if we could look at so for example if there's a lecture being given by somebody on a topic that is highly engaging for that individual student and engaging doesn't mean that there has to be all these quizzes and sort of this you know integrated activities just interesting for the, for the learner themselves and even the lecturer is is able to sort of share the share the knowledge in an interesting way I think that if 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 that is the case if the learner finds it interesting then their fatigue levels will be lower. I think it's more than just having to sit there and watch a screen, but it's definitely part of it. It's a, it's it's the same as like if if you want to go see a guest lecture of a famous academic let's say John Hattie is a famous one in in educational sciences even though he's got his crit- critics if he was giving a talk in person you'd be more likely to want to go and check that out compared to just watch another one of his talks on TV if it's recorded or on your computer but i wonder if it's a live talk and he's coming to your webinar you know it's pre- 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 performed for you and you have an ability to ask questions at the end there's all of these there's so many different variables to what a online lecture or a webinar can contain it's sort of it's so hard to to um to identify why a student might be fatigued or not fatigued but what would be in this case the thing that a person a student might be interested in 
Are we talking about a performance, the content, the experience, the interaction? Because uh, sometimes it's the interaction that is interesting. Sometimes it's the content. Sometimes uh, are the people. So we're meeting up with people that are interesting people, and therefore the whole thing becomes uh, more interesting as a result. Or is it the learning activities? Because very often I feel that, and I, and I totally agree with you, that we don't need to add games or quizzes, although this is a shortcut okay, to generate engagement. I don't think that it's just about the learning activities. We have been, we have been investing so much time and energy uh, uh, into, into designing allegedly engaging ac learning activities. But maybe the learning activity is not the thing that we should, uh, 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 we should look at. Allegedly engaging activities. That's allegedly, an interesting yes. term. Okay. Allegedly, yeah. of course, of course. I mean, I'm also referring to gamification, which is not something that I'm very fond of. But anyway, but, but, but what is it, the thing that should be interesting? Yeah, it depends, though. I mean, if you're struggling with writing an essay on which is your, you know, you've got to write your, your final, you've got this final essay that you need to write to pass the course, and the, and the content of the lecture is structuring your dissertation or structuring your discussion section it could be the most boring lecture for one student but incredibly engaging for another because this student really struggles with writing the discussion so, so it's very relevant entirely well maybe not yeah. entirely but i think sometimes like you always say context is everything you know with educational technologies context is really important and i think it's the same with any learning experience if you do not see value in it then it's hard to be engaged. Either. Yeah, but at the same time, when we're talking about this type of value, it's not always uh, easy to articulate what we value in something. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you start something and you're not particularly interested in it, uh, but then all of a sudden uh, the interest starts building up. And then, uh, and, and, and then you see yourself more and more and more and more engaged. So this is another factor. Yeah. And uh, I still, yeah, I still believe that there is there is still something wrong with the with the mediation, and this is about technology. I mean, I don't think that it's about technology per se, but perhaps technology plus how we use it, because in the same uh, in the same survey, um, in the same report, uh, uh, there was a, there was a section uh, about uh, a depersonalization of the relationship, yeah. which might be. Uh, explanatory of this, uh, or, or or part of this problem, the 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 teleconference, uh, or the online fatigue, or the Zoom fatigue, and uh, and uh, and for example, one of the things that they said was talking to a screen and a glass, running blank lectures. This is probably from the teacher's perspective, lack of direct contact. What does uh, what does this mean? I don't know. Direct contact, perhaps eye contact. I don't know. Uh, lack of group dynamics, and this is something that I've realized, especially in the last weeks, having while while uh, while having meetings actually with colleagues, that all of a sudden you realize that well, it feels like being in a classroom, because there is a person talking. You cannot talk to your colleagues simultaneously, which somebody may say, well, it's a good thing, but sometimes you just want to exchange a word with your with your with your neighbor. Uh, but in an online meeting, this cannot be done, and there are literally no group dynamics. And as a matter of fact, uh, in spite of the fact that you have uh, virtually all webinar tools providing these lockout um, uh, breakout rooms, so you can be in a group and then you can split uh, into several subgroups, but this is not a feature that the designers uh, saw as fundamental for for the user themselves so for example if you take zoom only the host of the zoom meeting can actually uh, assign different participants to different uh, uh, breakout rooms which is something completely overlooked by designers with this did you post a question around this on uh, your facebook page recently about is there any tools available to allow students to self-select groups to self-select groups, yes, there are no, 
there are no I mean, I mean Zoom, Skype, uh, uh, Microsoft Teams, uh, uh, Google Meet, all all the usual suspects never provide this type of thing. So it's it's just about it's 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 always the host that can decide. Okay. But if you are so but if you sorry this this um this yeah. document itself actually mentioned discord which is a game well it was initially a voice uh chat team chat for gaming um pl players players of games where they can um join a discord you can just text chat you can also voice chat really good um voice over internet protocol setup because it's very clear um, so let's play, let's say I play Modern Warfare online. Now, if I use in-game Modern Warfare chat, it's much worse quality than if I use Discord. So most people who might play with friends online, you know, in other countries, they'll use that. And this actually gives you an opportunity, this actually gives you the ability to jump into different groups. So the owner of the server, the Discord server, can actually set up these groups and if you go into any you know, online gaming group, then it'll have a whole list of empty channels and people can spontaneously join groups if they're looking for two others to play online, for example. And in this report, there's a section that basically says any suggestions, or maybe it was in the comments section, and it did suggest that Discord was one of these um, pieces of software that um, that could be used. And this does offer this thing that you're looking for. However, it doesn't offer video chat. So what you would probably have to do is you would have the video running on Zoom and then you would have the Discord running. And then that's where you would jump into the, the, the group chat. But if you well, don't want to use the video, which might be the case if internet bandwidth is an issue, you can just use Discord alone. Well, the first thing is that, yes, we may decide not to use the video, and so we we basically resort to the old-fashioned text-based chat, which is always an issue. Uh, I mean, which is always an option, sorry. And and I actually like text-based chatting because it allows me to formulate my thoughts. Uh, um, if, if, if now I'm busy, I just stop, and then I resume chatting at some later point in time. But but in this case, we're really looking for uh, a video chat uh, type of thing. And actually, I did find uh, a software um, service, which is called Remo, probably named after remote, I don't know, Remo, R-E-M-O, which, interestingly enough, is advertised as uh, a networking type of uh, application. So basically, they offer this interesting service, uh, which is uh, web-based, and it's for conferences and networking events. So you can have, uh, for example, the plenary session going on, the, 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 the keynote speaker uh, speaking, but the moment in which the event, the plenary session is over, then you can actually join one of the tables. And there is actually a visual representation of this, so you can switch from one table to the other, and there you can have uh, separate chats, video chats. So video chats with other, with other attendees. But the moment in which there is a keynote speaker, uh, then, uh, then basically this, uh, this, uh, you have to stop and, and you have to attend to the main event. Um, which, is, which, is, which is very interesting. It's also very expensive. Because uh, we uh, we are supposed to organize uh, an online uh, conference in uh, in July. It's called ICALT. Uh, uh, ICALT. Sorry, ICALT. It's about technology enhanced learning, and uh, and we were actually we wanted to have a sort of lobby, where people could just uh, pop in, uh, have a chat with the colleagues in between sessions. So we didn't have we didn't want to use it as a as a conference tool. We wanted we we still want to have Zuma for for all the sessions, parallel and plenary sessions, but in between we want to have a sort of space in which people can still socialize, and this cannot be done uh, in the same environment that you use for for parallel or plenary sessions, which is Zoom basically what we're having now. 
so 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 I found this tool, and uh, and uh, I'm gonna have the second try in one hour with uh, with some of our students and colleagues, uh, and it it works actually because you can visit uh, spontaneously. You can you can move from one uh, table or one room to the other uh, while having this uh, video chat uh, preserved. Be and this is precisely about sorry, and this is precisely about group group dynamics. So you don't have this one to many type of interaction, and you can uh, and and the teach the teacher for example can also offer private tutoring to a selected group of people, and this might not be arranged before, but on the spot, where Zoom uh, forces you to predefine all these uh, all these groups. Yeah. So this is maybe one place where the affordance of virtual reality is is quite great, and not only like uh, immersive VR, so th with an HTC Vive and things, but also what they used to call VR, which is things like Second Life. But when you have this sort of physical presence in a three-dimensional space, and you can really be closer and further away from individuals and groups, there's a mechanism to know for the for the um, for the system to know, are you in this group? Are you not in this group? Are you moving towards that group or are you moving away from that group? And the way that they organize this in some VR applications is, um, so one example is, um, what have we been using? Not engage, isn't, I can't remember the name right now, but basically as you, as you sort of, move closer to a group in the VR space, the audio of the group of people gets louder and louder. So there's this sort of linear relationship between the um, the volume of the chat and the um, how the distance you are from from that um, group of people. So it is much more um, it's much more natural way of, of joining a group. Of course there is the issue because you sort of click a button and you, jump five meters every time so it's not perfect um but this is something that being able to operate within a uh, three-dimensional space does offer outside of this click join your face pops up on a screen with six other people or mid-conversation you don't know what's being said before you can't like eavesdrop to see if you suit things like this which is which is very unnatural very unnatural and 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 what you're hinting at is that we need cues. We need cues that can be visual audio cues in this case, that that kind of reproduce the sense that we have in in uh, in real environments. The problem with virtual reality. I mean, I've been thinking about this, and I think that this is probably the thing that comes close. I mean, it's it's the closest thing to to what we experience in real environments. Um, at least to have group dynamics, because we're not saying that we want to m precisely, authentically mimic or accurately mimic what we experience in a, in a, in a, in a, in a traditional and physical environment. We're just talking about to have some kind of group dynamics. So the feeling that you're moving away from one group and you join another group, as you were saying. And I think that virtual reality is crucial here. The only problem with virtual reality is that... Uh, it's probably mimics too well the kind of interaction that we have in the real world because you appear as a body to other people. But this is not your actual body. You see what, I'm, what I mean? So, so we have to be careful in that. But, but I, I agree that in that case you would have group dynamics. And I why, think that we have why to... Does that, why do we have to be careful with that? Why is it a problem that it's not your real body? Well, because I think that I'm I'm now thinking about uh, um, our master program because uh, we usually have a, um, a two-week on-site session with our students. So in spite of the fact that everything else is online, the first two weeks are in person. I mean, physic we are we're physically present to each other, and uh, and uh, I always have the image. Uh, I mean, after I meet the students and I have my online courses. Uh, I always have somehow in the back of my mind uh, the physical image of the of the student, the voice, uh, 
the body, the way in which the student acts or moves. And these are cues. These are cues to understand something or to relate to the student. And in this report is also said, uh, I mentioned before, direct contact. I think that this is about the cues uh, that come to you with this thing that is called embodiment, that mm -hmm. we are embodied uh, always. And, uh, and, and we have a s sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, a certain type of body, phys physiognomy, face. Uh, and this is part of the identity of the person we're dealing with, that we are relating to. And that's why, um, because I've never tried virtual reality in this particular context. And this is something that came to my mind, hey, wait a second, but then I would associate that person to this little avatar. So the avatar would actually become more and more important because it's the only embodiment of that person. And, and you, is that necessarily a problem though? Because No, I don't think that it's a yeah. problem. I don't think that it's a problem. The thing is that, as I said before, probably one thing that is very important is to meet the person because I'm actually referring to a situation in which especially the next year I may be dealing with people that I've never met before yeah so that's the context I'm talking about probably this wouldn't a problem in case I I meet them already or or or, or I had met them already this but wouldn't be a problem but is it the case that if that's not an option, okay, I definitely don't think it is is going to replace the, or it will be a better option than meeting somebody in real life. But if that's not possible, I wonder the, if the fact that you are embodying, or you see the embodiment of somebody in a virtual avatar, you see their movement, you... Um, you can even see their expression of themselves based on the avatar that they choose. This could potentially be better than seeing a, well, definitely than four, let's say, well, not definitely, but you could argue it's better than just seeing somebody's anonymous or pseudonymous username. Well, it's better than Zoom. Let's, let's be honest. It's better than Zoom. Uh, uh, yeah, Even, I think well, Zoom, you have you know what they really look like. You have greater attention to detail regarding facial expressions, things like this. But there's no group dynamic. There's 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 nothing. It's it's, it's just one yeah. too many kind of interaction. Let's be honest. Unless, of course, it's just a conversation. You know, it's a conversation uh, among several people. That's fine. Well, I think that it's uh, there's no black uh, black and white answers to your to your question. I would say that. Uh, Questions. All the all the sorry the the answers. There are no black and white answers. I think that all answers uh, are affected by a certain degree of ambiguity. Because I would say yes and no. I was. Uh, I mean, I would say yes and no. Yes, because certainly, certainly it's better. Certainly it's better. It's a better option than than Zoom. The other issue is, uh, but this. I mean, we can really get philosophical. Uh, uh, now, because the question would be, who is the avatar? Uh, because indeed, uh, the cues we can rely upon uh, in virtual reality are better than those we can rely upon in, uh, in Zoom, for example. But I'm very much concerned about this gap. The gap between uh, what we have uh, in, in the physical real world and what we have in virtual reality. The gap to me is a problem. So even when we push it further and further and further and further and further, so everything becomes more and more and more and more accurate, more realistic, we have facial expressions, all sorts of things. But the, what concerns me is the gap that was still always there between the real, the sort of, let me, let me put it this way, the real self and the, and the virtual self. This might be a philosophical question, but this might also affect the kind of experience that we have. And one, one of which, uh, uh, one problem is related to embodiment, because the avatar has its own embodiment. Whereas, I mean, if, uh, I, mean I know how you look like, I know how you, uh, how you walk, I know many things about your embodiments, and you know, <laughs> and you know s something about my own embodiment, or the way I look like, or walk, and so on and so forth. So, so I'm I'm actually concerned about the gap. 
Mm. I think the fact that there is a need for in-person and virtual conversations and group work means to me that, yes, there'll be a gap, but I'm not worried about the gap because if we just re- we're just resigned to the fact that it will always be there, even though eventually if we don't blow ourselves up through nuclear war or there's not a pandemic that wipes us all out, I think there won't be a gap. Only a t- tiny amount of incremental progress in technology will eventually get us to no difference between the virtual and the real. But I don't think the gap matters because when the gap is so small and we want to move over to the real world, we just do those things in the real world. And I do think that the gap is going to be reduced. There's going to be a big jump in the reduction of that gap a lot sooner than most people probably appreciate. Okay, I try to rephrase the, the, the argument about uh, the gap. Because the gap I'm talking about is the, is the same gap that we have between a map and a territory. So it's, it's, it's not technical, it's ontological. So sometimes uh, a map is enough. We can actually take the map as an accurate representation of the territory. Okay? And, uh, and that's why we have maps and uh, GPS-made maps and the sort of things that uh, that that we know but i mean uh, that is the gap i'm i'm talking about so the gap between the map and the territory of course you may also make the case that well maybe this gap will disappear because the map will become the territory you know our 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 technical progress i mean the the, the technical progress will allow us to bridge this gap and then we don't know whether it's virtual reality or or, or real reality, okay? Um, certainly, what we see is virtual reality. I mean, we know from 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 physics, from quantum physics, that what we see is a is a representation of something else, okay? So it's already virtual; it's not real reality. And uh, and also, some philosophers will will make this point as well that it's it's virtual. It's the phenomenon that we can see, analyze, uh, study, uh, reflect upon, and so on and so forth. Uh, but, but the gap that I'm... Or, or, or the other way around, that the, the territory will become a map. I don't know what this means, actually. I mean, this, what, uh, what this could mean. But anyway, so I'm actually concerned about this gap, which is ontological. It's about we, we run the risk to mistake the map for the territory. Mm. And, and this is something that White hid... Uh, Whitehead, sorry, Whitehead. Uh, I think that he was a Brit- yeah, British philosopher from Cambridge, I think. Uh, he wrote uh, some stuff with uh, Bertrand Russell. And, uh, and, uh, and then he talked about uh, this fallacy that he called uh, the fallacy of misplaced concreteness. So you think that you are dealing with something concrete, uh, as concrete as real reality, but in fact what you're dealing with uh, is... Uh, simulacrum like like a representation a fake a fake but not fake because it's not that accurate but it's because ontologically speaking is another level uh and uh, and one of the biggest difference differences as i said is uh, the embodiment how you look like and uh, and the stuff that you can do in a virtual environment and the stuff that you can do in a in a real environment so to say so it's the gap it's the gap that worries me Having said that, having said that, I would try, I would personally try out virtual reality tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so, so it's uh, this is not a kind of bias that I have, but we should be aware. Perhaps this could be the bottom line. We should be aware that there is a gap. So I propose we record a session in virtual reality. We set up everything like normal. We meet in a virtual world. We have the same conversation. And then we reflect upon the differences, maybe after a set of, com- maybe after a 40 minute conversation or something. And then in the same point, we reflect upon the conversation or even at a later date, because there is something special about sharing a virtual space. It's not necessarily better or worse, but there's something about it that, that having this, 
this idea of socializing in virtual reality, there's an intangible connection. I'm, I'm not sure what it is, and I can't articulate it, but there's something is there. But certainly virtual reality offers more than what the flat screen can offer. Undoubtedly, yeah. And this is, and this is actually the point. That's why, that's why we have corners in virtual reality, whereas in Zoom we don't have corners. You know, if you think of, if you th this, is, this is something that I've been talking with, uh, with a colleague uh, who lamented the fact that uh, we don't have uh, informal meetings for socializing. And he said, uh, and he, he brought up this comparison with the coffee room that we have in our institute. And he said, uh, can't, can't we organize something like a coffee room in which everybody could uh, pop in, pop out, and uh, and we can bump into each other, having a cordial, uh, um, accidental conversation about this or that, which we usually have in real, in real life. And uh, and then I told him, but listen, in the coffee room we have corners. If I set up uh, a Zoom meeting, a Zoom room, we don't have corners, because we're dealing with the flat screen. I mean, this would be something that I that I would tell that I would say now. Which is exactly what uh, mm, uh, what virtual reality goes around. So we we don't need uh, to rely on a flat screen. So all of a sudden we have new affordances. For example, we can uh, have a corner in which the two of us can go to and uh, and have a private chat while being at the same time in the same environment with other people. Which is, as I said, something that in Zoom you can do with uh, with breakout rooms, but it's. A very, I mean, it's very much an approximation. It's not the same thing, and it's not even even remotely close to that. No. And it's. But then, it, yeah. But then, but then, the other question is, perhaps we should start. Uh, uh, we shouldn't think in terms of representation. So we have even even in the in the in the name virtual reality, you are comparing it with something else. Otherwise, you wouldn't call it virtual reality. You would you would call it something like I don't know, uh, uh, a different room. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, but 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 my point is this: perhaps we should uh, look at those tools again in terms of variety, in terms of options. And this is what you were saying now. But what if what if even after this uh, pandemic, after COVID nineteen? Huh, uh, we may still meet in person and at the same time in virtual reality, the moment in which we see that certain uh, big obstacles have been overcome. And so in this case, we don't have to worry about the gap because obviously we're not comparing these things. One is not the map of the other and one is not the territory of the, of the, of the other. I don't know if you, if you get my point. Yeah, I do get it now. I do see your point. No, no, it's, I agree. It's not... You're not replacing coffee room conversations with by meeting in VR. Absolutely, it's another way. It's another way in which you can engage uh, somebody else, you know, and and you will naturally find the best way to communicate to share. Uh, depending on depending on the tools that you have, the tools that we that that you use, uh, but your I preferences. It might be the case that because these things are now possible because it is possible to meet in vr it's not replacing the coffee room conversation but it's a new tool in the toolbox it might encourage people to rethink that the way they work and collaborate it might end up the case that okay in fact i don't need to go into the office five days a week i don't even need to go into the office at all because i get enough from the corners that are presented to me within virtual reality. So actually, our toolbox is greater, so therefore we can rethink the way that we work. And and it it might not it might end up directly replacing something, but it's not mapping on it's not a map of something, if that makes sense. It does make sense, but then, uh, but then the question uh, is—I uh, mean, I mean, it's not a question; it's more an observation that even then uh, we are thinking in terms of something replacing something else. 
which is also the reason why all these uh, talks about artificial intelligence get on my nerves precisely because of this because artificial intelligence in this case is always seen uh, as something replacing something else there is a kind of competitive uh, um, uh, or, or comparison in this case competitive comparison which 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 one is the best and and I think that we have to get out of this mindset so Did for example I agree with you you may not need to go to the office but that doesn't mean uh, that one thing replaces the other it's just that you rearrange your routines you rearrange your habits so you have two different ways of practicing the same thing exactly which is yeah. not which is not competitive i mean it's not that 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 one is competitive to the other i mean is it is is it a fair analogy to say when you, we move from using mud to build our homes to using bricks to build our homes yeah. It doesn't mean that we never built yeah. homes with mud ever again. Yeah. But it was we realized well actually if we use bricks we can do all these other things. Yeah. When we build a home, so therefore every time we build a home we don't have to use mud. Yeah. Yeah. Is is that does that work though that analogy because yeah. you could argue that they are in com competition with each other brit br mud yeah. and bricks the same way concrete and brick is bricks yeah. is in competition. And uh, yeah, I think that it's a wonderful metaphor, uh, which which brings out one key issue, which is variety, which is what uh, I was alluding to before, because then the thing that we have to preserve is the variety of ways in which we can engage each other. And I want to bring now an interesting case I've heard yesterday from uh, from um, from a teacher I'm working with. Uh, she told me that uh, after a few weeks, uh, uh, since the lockdown started, uh, they realized, uh, I mean, she's working in a school, it's a rather big school in Tallinn, and uh, she's actually uh, in, the, in the high school department. So I'm talking about high school. Uh, one thing that they did uh, in that school was to redesign the timetable in a very specific way. So, for example, she's an English teacher, and she usually has three classes per week. And these classes are spread all over the week. So you can have the first class on Monday, then Wednesday and Friday. Now what they have decided uh, after the COVID-19 thingy, that they would have uh, all the three hours in one day. So they will have a longer time slot. So they wouldn't have one, one class on Monday, the other one on Tuesday, the, one, the other one on Friday, but they would have a single block of three hours, let's say, on Wednesday or Tuesday. Now, in this way, what the teacher was allowed to do was to entertain more variety of ways in which she could uh, or he could uh, engage the students. So he or she could have uh, personal tutoring in one-to-one -one tutoring. She could have a webinar with the whole class or give the student assignments which might have taken more than the usual 45 minutes. So it's a longer period uh, in which you can do many things. You can, uh, you can engage the students in different ways. So it's not that, okay, Sunday, uh, Monday, Wednesday and Friday we have a 45 minute class and it's going to be a webinar. And then I will give you some homeworks to do over the weekend, for example. No, in this case, you have every teacher has, for example, the English teacher, because the math teacher usually has uh, f five hours, she told me. So this is a little bit different. But anyway, they have one single slot, and they can do several things. But they can do that because they have revised the timetable. And the new option allows for more variety of teaching of teaching tools because it can be the project-based type of assignment uh, that may require the students to work for 90 minutes. Clearly you can't do this with the teacher if you still have the old timetable or if you're still adopting the old way. And this is such a, such a fascinating thing that it's just one thing that made other things possible, yeah. the timetable. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see what sticks. You know how long how long will how many places have changed their system or their structure of teaching and learning due to this COVID nineteen that will 
not go back to normal and how many will go back to normal. I think I'm, it's it's almost it's exciting to sort of imagine what what the what the outcome of this weird experiment will be. Yeah, I think I think that it would be very 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 interesting. Yes, very interesting. By the way, one thing one thing that was uh, said in this report that made me think about this case was that 25% uh, of the respondents I think that these were teachers uh, said that 25% said uh, they that they do not have a suitable working space at home. Yeah. So but but then uh, should we talk about more I mean should we more talk about uh, the environment rather than the tools? I mean last time we talked about the ecology of learning and teaching. Is this something that we should uh, talk more and more how how the the ecology the ecology gets structured? I think maybe it's the case that you have to get the tools correct first and well maybe it's the other way around maybe first you need the environment correct and then you get the tools correct I'm not sure. But I I don't think you can single any one of these things out. Yeah. They they, they are this they work all together in unison and if if any if there's too much pressure on one thing i mean if you've got three kids at home your husband's working you're working and the daycare's closed and i mean how many families have two offices where you can create your own workspace no nobody nobody exactly unless you're very rich Unless you're very rich. But in yeah. that case, I mean, you don't have any problem. <laughs> yeah, money solves all problems, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean practically. Everybody problems. knows that. Yeah, but yeah. It, but it, it's, it's um, I think, yeah, it, it's inevitable. My, my wife right now, she's working on the kitchen table. I'm lucky that I have an office because I spend most of my time working from home anyway. But so um, you already had you or already had your space designed for home use. Yeah, uh, so knew, sorry, for work use. And I knew I had to have a dedicated space for work use. Otherwise, I would not have been able to be productive. Like that was very important. And that was a, a design decision that you made before COVID-19, and which, which turned out to be the right thing to do yeah. in, this, uh, in this specific context. But it's exactly. about design. But it's about design. And this, the last thing that I want to say... Uh, uh, on this point, and and then I think that we should just uh, wrap up because I think that it's almost an hour. Is it almost an hour? It is. I think it's uh, f- it's over an hour. Yeah, over hour an and hour. three minutes. Okay, over an we, hour. We cut but off anyway. a bit at the start, maybe. Yeah, but this is but this was an interesting point that we came up uh, we came up with was this: if we stop thinking in terms of competition uh, among tools, uh, which sometimes may actually be the competition. Uh, between us and our tools and our machines, then we can frame the whole thing in terms of variety. And then institutions, our institutions, in this case educational institutions, can help us uh, find the right design that would actually preserve as much as as much variety as possible. So that, just like the case that I mentioned, uh, if, if, if we arrange the studies in a way that teachers can uh, use different tools, if this variety is preserved, then I think that teaching quality would certainly benefit. Teachers and students would certainly benefit from it. But if we s- try to find the, you know, the killer app, the killer method, uh, uh, we would just reduce variety. And this is something that some people don't quite understand. We don't have to look for the, you know, the killer thing, whether it's an application, uh, a tool, uh, uh, a teaching method. Uh, um, we don't need that because that would inevitably reduce the variety that we would like to have because we're different, uh, things change, and so on and so forth. So we have to have institutions that are able to preserve as much variety as possible because that's what we need. We don't need either virtual reality or real reality. No, we can have both. Because in some cases, like in an emergency, <laughs> precisely like the COVID-19 thingy, we need, uh, we need virtual reality more than reality-reality. We need more Zoom than, uh, than, uh, than a traditional setting. And perhaps we need more group, uh, uh, 
student-centered approach uh, than, uh, than, uh, than usual, for example. But it's the variety that we should entertain, not the single killer app or killer whatever. So, I agree. Um, so for next uh, next episode, maybe we can talk about the student survey. If we come up with nothing more interesting, yeah, okay. Between now and then, yeah, there's a student version of this survey, which might also be interesting to look at. Yeah, I think um, the look at yeah, yeah, we can look at that. And I'm actually very surprised because this, uh, as I said, this report was issued uh, actually seven. Uh, Two weeks ago. Yeah, it's recent. So yeah, it's um, it's recent and uh, and uh, and they did it very quickly. And it's not. An, I mean, we haven't mentioned the sample size, but it's not completely insignificant. I think it was two hundred and twenty-five. Um, two hundred and fifty-eight questionnaire responses were received, and that was around thirty percent of um, all of the. Yeah. Teachers in the institution. Yeah. Um, so valid enough. Well, representative, representative. Representative enough to talk Represent- about. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And also to preserve the variety that that is inevitably there, I believe. I mean, because it's not that there's only one way to experience this. So the more people you get, the better, in a way. Unless when you see that the answers are always the same or, or they start repeating themselves. Okay, thank you very much. See you the next time.